Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. We haven't done this in a while, but I want to uh, start out by thanking everyone who is subscribing or listening to the podcast, whether on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Uh, we just recently added the podcast to Google Play as well, so uh, you can get it there, though if you're listening to this, obviously you already know where you're getting it. Uh, if you like what you hear, please... Uh, rate and review us if possible, especially on iTunes, because for whatever reason, and I really don't understand it, most people still listen to podcasts via iTunes. And when people rate and review there, it has more of an impact. So if you do use iTunes or if you somehow have access to iTunes and you can rate and review us there, we would really appreciate it. Uh, and also, if you could share the podcast with others, that would be awesome. I keep hearing from people who say that they didn't even realize that we have a podcast. So let's try and change that. Anyways, on to today's podcast subject. As you are well aware, we are deep into the silly season known as the U.S. presidential campaign. And 2016 has certainly been, well, memorable in all sorts of ways. Uh TechDirt is not a politics site at all, uh, but it certainly does cover policy. And every so often, policy and politics actually collide and overlap. Uh, our original thought for this podcast was that we would look in, at the tech policy platforms of the two major party candidates. But there's a bit of a problem with that, uh, mainly being that Donald Trump has not published any actual technology policy platform, so there's not much to discuss. Uh, what little he has discussed in various interviews and debates has basically also been kind of incomprehensible. So uh, we weren't sure what we could actually discuss there. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton, at the very least, has published a tech policy plan, but just going through hers alone wouldn't be all that interesting, frankly. Uh, much of the tech policy that she describes is kind of ridiculously vague and lacking in details. There's lots of talk of investing in education and technology, but little in the way of actual details on how that would work. As I wrote on TechDirt, much of it seems written deliberately to be read in a way that doesn't commit the campaign to anything, but can also be uh, plausibly denied <laughs> if someone gets upset about something in particular. That is, it's designed to be read in a manner that anyone can interpret it the way that they like. It could be a good tech policy plan. It could be a horrible one. No one is entirely sure from what's written. So instead of digging into the policy proposals of the two candidates, I thought it would be more interesting and fun to actually discuss what we think a presidential tech policy platform should include. And I'm going to try, and I don't know if this is going to be possible, I'm going to try to make sure that we limit it to stuff that the president can actually do, which frankly isn't necessarily all that much when it comes to tech policies, since a lot of the stuff that we think of as tech policy is really under Congress's mandate rather than the president's. Anyways, we've got our usual co-hosts here, Dennis Yang and Hirsch Reddy, to discuss this, and I've asked them each to come prepared with their top tech policy platform idea. So let's get to it, and I'm going to pick and say, Dennis, you get to go first. <laughs> I get to go first. <laughs> so, so have at it. What, if, if you were writing the presidential platform for technology policy, what would be your top item? I mean, so this is kind of, it, when I was kind of, thinking about what my presidential tech policy platform would be. Um, it kind of led me down the, down the path of, I guess it used to be called like the big science, little science thing. Um, so like setting up obviously like a huge goal as a presidential tech policy piece, right? So either mm -hmm. like back in the 60s, we had like the, the moon, the space program. Like sure. I think that something like that, I think would be pretty powerful. Um, and in terms of, you know, setting a high level goal in terms of spending or like some huge kind of aspirational technology goal with kind of spending to back it, I think it would be super interesting. Um, especially, and I'm a huge fan of, of NASA and what they did in their programs and seeing how many spinoffs 
came from that program right. makes me really b- believe that something like like that will be really powerful. So, so you know, so the obvious one that people would talk about in that case would be like go like to Mars, Mars yeah. right? So, I mean, so Mars, right. either go to Mars or you know, we could even do something even less spacey, like uh, something <laughs> like AI or something like you know, sure. s- so devote some sort of budget. Um, towards developing a, the first sentient being or something. I don't know. Um, pretty big, pretty presidential. How's, how's that for a first step? <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting. It's, um... uh, I mean, it, it's a lot more toothy, you know, chewy than just saying, like, you know, we all need education, which I think I definitely think no one's going to disagree with, right? Right. Um, like improving STEM programs, I sure, like, sure, that sounds great. But I want to go bold and say, let's do, let's go to Mars. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm, I <laughs> it wasn't quite what I was expecting, but I, okay. I, I like it. It's different. Um, yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm just trying to think. I mean, you know, something like, you know, an AI program is is interesting. I mean, you could do, you know, I mean, right now, of course, like most AI stuff is is developed by private corporations. And so like, you know, like space program originally was, you know, was done, you know, through NASA and stuff. Now, of course, there's more and more private space flights. Yeah. And Elon Musk has, you know, put his big science hat on and is is aiming for Mars as well. So I think that there is one big debate, which is, uh, do we really even need government to, to play there this we role go. anymore, right? And I was waiting. <laughs> I don't know, for, like, for an edge to say I mean, that, but someone, you, you did someone's it. Someone's going to say it, right? Right. Well, I mean, so oh, so you, but let me let me. Uh, you could argue that the, the government could put themselves in the role of sort of like an X prize for something like this, right? Yeah. There we go. That's much yeah. better. <laughs> so set up a prize system for you know it, it wouldn't necessarily be like the first one to like actually get to Mars because that's that's probably sure. too far along. But like the stages that you would need to get to Mars, I mean, I think people could easily work that out and yeah. say you get different prize amounts for for getting to you know this stage, that stage, that stage, etc. And basically help you know incentivize. Um, yeah, like provide. So I mean, if government hasn't really shown itself that great at running these programs you know but maybe putting the incentives around making them happen would be really interesting right so yeah i think that'd be cool yeah and maybe cheaper and more efficient hopefully i'm just not very uh i I just don't believe that much that like you know that that you know apart from you know even the i think we've all expressed some skepticism already about sort of the government being able to sort of centrally pursue innovations on its own you know we already talked about elon musk so i i won't sort of belabor that point but even when it comes to sort of selecting the targets of what the end goals of innovation should be is i'm also skeptical of sort of not just the government but any sort of big entity doing a good job of imagining the future enough to 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 imagine the right goals you know these things are things i mean i don't know the 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 space race was a pretty cool like it was extraordinarily you know, expensive, yeah. right? And I, sure, and it, it, and I'm sure I, you know. I, I think that but, some but stuff were, like every how many things? Spent, how many know. things did we miss out on to do that? Right? Like a lot of people might say that we just actually we missed out on and how many things do we get because of it? You know, not. Yeah, I mean, there there were a lot of dividends from from the space program. Yeah, I mean, but think, you know what? Look, guys, the amount of money they spent, we could have done a lot of stuff in agriculture, a lot of stuff in schools. We might not have the kinds of poverty we have now. Like, we don't even know, right? Like, so I don't think it's fair to say that's not the way to compare it, right? Because we don't have anything to compare it against. There's, I mean, I, I'll give you that. There's no control, right? Yeah, exactly. And, 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 but, but that, I mean, that response is also like, I mean, you could use that to denigrate any, any program. Well, no, right? because there is, well, in the sense that, like, where, when we allow sort of a, 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 the market to just develop technology, we see a lot more stuff that's broadly used, right? Sure. Uh, and, but, uh, and, know, and, I, to just, I, and to help to, to sort of do a space program in order to get the few offshoots uh, that become useful in a general sense, like, oh, we'll get Teflon, we'll get this, we'll yeah, get we that. Velcro, we got Velcro, Tang, yeah. good stuff. <laughs> no, Velcro did not come from them. Uh, Velcro was, <laughs> was from a French inventor much before that. But, right, but, 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 but regardless, you know, <laughs> that, that's not the way to do it. You, you, you fund those things directly if they're going to be useful, right? Like, or, or you know, that, that's the way to do it. You, you don't... Uh, if if you need to water your garden, you don't flood your house, right? Like it's that's not how you do it. But anyway, you know, I, I I'm a big I'm a bigger fan of just sort of the government uh, taking 
itself out of the role of sort of permissioning, right? So uh, is this the right time, Mike, for me to sort of talk about what yeah, I'd yeah. like to be? Oh, go for so it. Your big plan. Come yeah, <laughs> so, so my big plan is almost the exact opposite, which is I'd like to see, you know, given oh how many advances are already being made in AI and stuff like that, I'd like to see the government open up a space, uh, I mean, in a space both in the physical sense and in a regulatory sense, for companies to innovate. So I'd like to see the government, uh, the federal government specifically, the president, um, pursuing a plan that sort of makes it so that local governments and state governments can't get in the way of innovation in sort of a in a in a, in a broad way. So I'll I'll, t I'll give you just one example of that. The regulations for self-driving cars are going to be this really confusing kind of landscape, you know, mm -hmm. different fifty different ones for fifty different states, and that's a real problem for businesses that want to release self-driving cars and so you know one of the things the president can do and i know mike said we should restrict ourselves to what the president can actually do with his own executive powers and this is this actually goes a little bit into congress's power as well which is that I, I think the but the president even just on his soapbox can do a lot to sort of pursue a, a agenda that essentially tries to make it uniform across the united states sure the regulations for self-driving cars and i'd say the same thing for uavs and other things like that i think i think so you, want, you want to create a safe space for innovation where yeah. people are freed of liabilities and rules and everything. No, no, no. You don't have to do it all the way. What what we need is, um, even in the case of liabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say liabilities for self-driving cars. People aren't regulating them with the idea that the liability should, you know, it's not about the liabilities, right? It's more about sort of a, a blanket prohibition, right? Like if you were interested in the liabilities and risks, I think people would... It would be regulated in a different way. You'd have like certain backcountry roads where you'd be authorized. They'd, they'd be like a, here's a government test center. They'd be like, you know what I mean? It would be, this landscape would look different. Um, I, and I think that would be the right thing for the president to do, right? Like when you say open up a safe space, it's, it's essentially saying like, what can we do in terms of opening up reserved highway lanes for self-driving cars? Can we do a feasibility study on the safety of existing technology, whether that's even feasible to do safely? Like that kind of stuff is stuff that an executive, the executive power can do. You can instruct agencies to do yeah. these things, right? And, and you know, Dennis, like, in creating a safe space, it doesn't mean, like, get rid of all regulations and rules, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, you can create some sort of safe harbor, which is basically, like, if you follow, you know, X, Y, and Z, then you are free to do, you know, anything else within within that realm right you you create right. these spaces where where things can happen that is not totally free of all rules but which is better than a than a fully prescriptive thing that that gives you this big long checklist or asks you to first get approval or licenses or or some sort of you know regulatory checkoff um before you can move forward with it and so you could see that kind of thing happen like you know right now um like i don't i don't know how much you guys follow this but like with the self-driving cars like you know the the whatever the national highway transportation safety administration is that what it's called um uh, b board and yeah board yeah, yeah okay and and so they you know they put out this sort of like semi-voluntary guidelines yeah, that are confusing and complex. And then it's still like each of the states is still, you know, has the power to set up their own things. And some of them are basically just pointing to those guidelines and saying, like, follow this and others aren't. And it's not, you know, it's it feels very much like a permission based system where people have to really sort of go overboard and bend over backwards to actually mm -hmm. comply. And it's different in every state. Um, and so that that does, you know, that makes it much harder to innovate. I think one of the things that, um, if we're if we're talking about innovation, and I know it's 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 very fashionable to talk about sort of uh, self-driving cars and UAVs and things like that, but if you want to talk about a sector where if we do some liberalization and freeing, we could see a huge amount of sort of maybe not exciting technology in the newspaper sense, but very exciting economic growth. I think we would see it's just by liberalizing white space, uh, broadcast white space, right? Reallocate, and that's something you're, that you're taking my do. you're taking my policy proposal. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no go ahead. Was that go yours? Ahead. Oh, wait, wait, that's right? Mike's like, big one. No, that was that your big one. Sorry. Mike. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> well, you didn't tell us ahead of time that you were going to talk about this. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. That's cool. That's cool. I was just. <laughs> I, I just saw it as being kind of part of what I was saying. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, no but let's let's, let's but let's talk about it like more in depth. But uh, essentially, all I was going to say is you know, in, with my limited, um, you know, sub part of my proposal was just simply to say that um, 
one of the things the FCC can do, you know, with executive action is obviously they can't reallocate these uh, the bandwidth that's already been sort of licensed off, right, to private players. But they can certainly liberalize the rules about transmission strength and other things in um, some existing white space areas. Plus, in other areas where bandwidth has been allocated to different uses, um, they can be uh, the FCC can essentially. Uh, force people that are in those bandwidths, like the GPS bandwidth, to adhere to the standards so that the, those existing devices, don't their use doesn't bleed into and forbid other uses in neighboring bandwidth, which is something we see, right? I don't know if I've gone into too much detail here, but essentially what sometimes happens is the use in neighboring bandwidth that's supposed to be free gets constrained by the fact that there's some licensed use in 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 not in not in in those spectrum but in neighboring spectrum yeah and, and, and essentially making the fcc essentially do what's more to the letter of the law i think is certainly in the president's powers to basically say yeah i mean that's becoming less and less an issue these days honestly but like so so but i agree so so my my sort of you know top item goes beyond that i mean it includes the white space uh issue and spectrum but i was just saying like the 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 we should do anything possible to increase broadband competition, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that covers a few different areas. And, and obviously, spectrum allocation is a big one. Um, and that includes, I mean, white space allocation is is a huge one. Um, and that's, you know, for, for people who don't know, um, her sort of described it, but it, it basically is sort of the the... I wouldn't say totally unused, but kind of unused spectrum in between allocated spectrum areas that, that we could actually turn into stuff and, and make use of. Um, and there are other things that they can do in terms of moving around spectrum. Like, you know, the famous thing is if you um, go look up the chart of like who controls what spectrum, mm -hmm. um, it's it's a fairly amazing chart because it's, you know, sliced and diced in all sorts of ways. And there's little slivers here and there for all different kinds of uses. And then there's these massive chunks of spectrum that is just, you know, completely taken over. And it's all by the TV broadcasters, because when that was allocated many years ago, like there was no other use for spectrum. That was the only thing that you could do is sort of, you know, broadcast TVs over it. Um, and that was and all it's very juicy spectrum, right? Yeah. Right. It's, oh, it's incredibly juicy spectrum. And, and it's and a it was kind that penetrates buildings that can go long distances. Yeah. Yep. Everything that's best about spectrum. And, and it was all given away for free. Um, you know, the, the, the bargain was that if you were a TV broadcaster, you had to have some sort of uh, element like of like public interest. Public service announcements yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, almost no one really yeah who even watches broadcast tv now <laughs> right. it's ridiculous that those guys have that yeah so there's all sorts of stuff and there have been efforts to sort of reclaim mm -hmm. that and and you know there wasn't of, wasn't the move to digital some somewhat right or? right so part of part of the move to digital was to reclaim that but then and then there's this whole yeah. mess where basically then the fcc is sort of trying to do this kind of double auction this it's, it's a very cumbersome setup mm -hmm. to sort of get people to bid on the spectrum and to also then sort of convince the broadcasters to give up that spectrum effectively paying them off for something they got for free um, but also giving the government money and so there's there's a whole bunch of issues and, and one of the problems is that you know because spectrum has become so valuable you know the government now sees it as a as a revenue generator right yeah. so they want to license off the spectrum to the to the people to who the pay spinner. the most for it and you can understand like okay that's a way for the government to get some revenue you know many billions of dollars and and you know there's value in that coming from you know a company rather than necessarily like direct taxation or something mm -hmm. but it also means that you know the only ones who can afford that spectrum are Verizon and AT and T and you know maybe and, and it will Comcast. necessarily be a very centralized use. And there's some advantages yeah. of centralized, coordinated uses of spectrum. Certainly, um, you know they can you know be because they're coordinated, they can be used very efficiently in theory. But there's a lot of benefit. I mean, as we can see from Wi-Fi and yep. uh, Bluetooth and everything else. I mean, there's a lot of um, really great things that come out of the market if you just let people yes. essentially use polite protocols uh, that can coexist with each other even if they're different protocols. Right, and so that's that's the space. thing is yeah. is enabling more open spectrum that isn't licensed to the highest bidder I think would be really, really valuable. And yet, you know, it's it's something that, that Congress has trouble approving um, because, because they want to, you know, make as much money as they yeah. can off of it, which is, you know... 
And it's really hard to organize these open type initiatives, right? Like there's no um, single champion or. Well, yes and no. I mean, there are definitely people who are pushing for it, but, um, you know, they're not the ones who donate. It's a lot Congress. easier when you have. Yeah. <laughs> what, have what I would really what donation. I would. What I would really like to see is someone like IEEE who has a deep understanding, at least the members of IEEE do, of, of how Spectrum can be organized to come up with a new way of dividing Spectrum. Like in the past, the way we, we would use the government gives Spectrum is it either gives it to a government agency who monopolizes it or it gives it to a private entity who then uses a centralized sort of management plan for it or it makes it white space and everyone just kind of chaotically uses it with some rules of the road, of course, set by the FCC. But I think there's another way of doing it. And that way of doing it is uh, is analogous to um, how uh, uh, people, for example, in, in, in sort of the UK, uh, may build a piece of fiber under the ground, but the fiber can carry anyone's data, a number of different ISPs data, right? Yeah. So so there, it's like, a, it's, 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 it's one piece of fixed, um, infrastructure and it's used in a disciplined way but it carries everybody's data according to those rules so what i would propose is that you have a slice of the spectrum that is centrally managed but it's actually managed by someone like the fcc and then geographically it may uh allocate for a fixed amount of time or maybe even uh uh, to a fixed number of different companies a local monopoly for transmission on that and and here's where i see it being useful where it's useful is in last mile access. Imagine having a very juicy piece of sort of FM uh, or, or terrestrial TV spectrum that can really cut through buildings, right? But um, in order to use it efficiently to provide internet for millions of people in the city, uh, you would want competition on that bandwidth. But whatever the competition is in that bandwidth, they would really need to coordinate with each other in terms of how they transmit and receive their customers' data, right? And, and so that would need some central coordination, but that spectrum would be available to anyone in that local area who registered with the government and and followed whatever that protocol is that the government sets up for transmission on that. Right. And bandwidth, so, right? so so that was that was getting to sort of one of the other proposals I had, which um, and I, I it was the same exact thing that you described, not necessarily in the spectrum space, but in the actual physical like fiber space and. And and here's the argument, which is basically that that if you know, if you install like a super fast backbone connection, right, that is a, a capital infrastructure play. Um, it's fairly expensive to do, but once you have it, you can you can carry so much traffic over it. So you can have a single central player managing that but then allow competition at the service level above it right mm -hmm. and so you have sort of a wholesale player and they would have some sort of monopoly power but but you would have real competition among the service providers who actually provide the end user service on on top of that infrastructure and that could be wireless or it could be wireline fiber kind of situation um and that's that's like i think a really interesting thing and now you can make an argument and some have that this kind of infrastructure development is is you know is pure infrastructure, and it's kind of like the um, federal highway system, right? Where it actually makes sense for the federal government to come in and and pay for it. Whether or not it makes sense for them to manage it and, and own it is is a different question. There, there are different ways to potentially deal I, with that. I kind of disagree with that because I feel like the government ends up becoming like Ma Bell in the sense that they may. In the year 2016, let's say they release it, they may come up with something that is pretty good 2014 technology and it serves everyone's needs, but they would, they just won't upgrade it quickly. They just don't have a good track record of kind sure. of managing that stuff. So I, I, I do like the idea of them kind of managing a registry of who's using the spectrum, but I like to leave the actual equipment choice, protocol choices sure. and that kind of stuff yeah. to, to, to uh, the players themselves. Right? Yeah, and, I, and I'm not against that either. I mean, I, I think you just need some sort of way of, of managing it so that it does remain competitive and and continues to upgrade and has the incentives to upgrade and i'm not entirely sure the best way to do that um but you know the way we have it now doesn't <laughs> doesn't seem to be working at all um and so i i would like to see a, a setup where there is more you know more ways to encourage competition at the service level and yet that there's still incentive at the at the lower infrastructure level, whether it's, you know, wireless or wireline to actually install, um, you know, more 
more overall systems and so you can get sort of the best of both worlds with real investment and better better overall bandwidth and more co competition at the service level so that that's sort of my my big one um I feel like my space one is more exciting for the entire country. Yeah, really. <laughs> You're inspiring, Dennis. Um, go for it. <laughs> we, can, we can figure out how to market your, no, your, I, your I mean, broad spectrum plan. I do think, a, like, on the presidential level. Well, I mean, I, I do th actually think there's an interesting idea. That, I mean, yeah. there are a number of interesting ideas having to do with that. And, and, and you know, going back to the thing that I suggested uh, to take credit <laughs> for your <laughs> idea um, is, is, you know, the ability to do things like X prizes for, for yeah. innovation or, or, you know, you know, prizes for, for innovation is something that I think is really interesting and that, that I think the government is, is a role that the government could take. And I mean, there has been, you know, there have been efforts like in, X prizes for everything. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like be there have been, you know, some people have suggested that we should actually replace the the sort of patent system with kind of an yeah. X Prize type solution, especially in the space of pharmaceuticals, where yeah. you know you have incentive where if you're first, you get a prize, but everyone gets to work on stuff, and then there's no sort of monopoly protection right. on top of that. I mean, um, could the other the other side work as well? Some sort of a grant or like funding system, where you know you apply for you know, a grant to work on certain problems that we. We deem interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, do a much worse job with the grant system, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you shouldn't. I you mean, be we shouldn't space, knock yeah. it because, like, you know, government grants actually have been really useful in a lot of areas, but there is also a lot of waste. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I sort of like the the prize solution better because it's. It, yeah. I, I agree. Like, I I think you do need some sort of combination because obviously some of this stuff, you know, you might not be able to to actually. Yeah you know, implement or execute without some sort of funding and you might right. not be able to get funding from private sources and therefore having some sort of grant program mixed in with this is good. But I think that, you know, having the, yeah, the but, main focus uh, be the prize, the on, prize. on actual execution, I, I think gets you further down the yeah. road than... Well, you the, know what might, the, might the get the me there about, is that um, instead of having one kind of winner-take-all prize, maybe some kind of incremental, you know, like you, 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 your team is able to do something and then if you're able to demonstrate kind of competence you get like a mini bonus or something as you're working towards yeah, a sort big, of milestone yeah like milestone grants or, milestone or grants or something i don't know it just feels like the winner take all thing really lends itself to certain types of teams which i i wonder what what kind of teams you bias your competition towards if you do it that way but that's all thing about the thing about grants is that uh, you know people are saying you know they're it's they're very wasteful tremendous Pe waste. people say people are saying you know, <laughs> tremendous waste you know, it's it's just it's it's just terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great what, great way what, to, to cite, cite a what, source without citing a source. This 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 is what people are saying. Yes, yeah, tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I think Dennis finally got the joke. Oh I got it. I got it early. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so, so moving on, things things that we haven't haven't really touched on. We sort of mentioned education in sort of the broad yeah. sense. Is there anything digital that, infrastructure? We like that. We like the infrastructure kind of policy things. Building a faster broadband thing, or wireless, or wireless infrastructure, something. Right. Well, that's yeah. that was sort of my part of my my plan. Um, yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> no, mentioned that. Were you Were you listening? I guess. <laughs> but you were You were focusing on like the spectrum thing. I was. Saying, no. No. Like, I. I said. I said. All right. It was under under the my my entire category was better broadband competition. Okay. So that's that's so everything. That, that covered, that Infrastructure, everything. wire, fiber, spectrum. That's it's, fair. Et cetera, Does it cover energy? How about energy? Uh, I I didn't. That's not. That's different. So energy policy is is a big one. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely something that the, that the government could and probably should be involved in in some sense. Um, I don't know if anyone has any good proposals <laughs> there. Better, <laughs> more, gooder energy. <laughs> Better, more, gooder energy. I mean, you know, right now energy policy has mainly been focused on like subsidies and tax yeah. rebates and stuff for, you know, buying electric cars or installing solar power or things like that. Um, I don't, you know, it's a space... Personally, I don't know enough about to know what what is good policy there. So, if either of you do, <laughs> go for it. Um, I, it's so yeah. complicated, and it's also it's also the kind of thing where, I mean, I I'm kind of instinctively against subsidies, but um, when it comes to things like solar and things like that, I think the costs have fallen so dramatically recently because 
while the subsidies that have driven those sort of price cuts aren't in the United States, the subsidies are somewhere. I think like factories in China are getting probably state support or, you know, mm. and, and that, 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 those sort of subsidies, um, that someone else is paying for, I have no problem with. <laughs> so, I, I mean, can, if we, you know, if we, if we can get cheap solar panels in the United States because someone has sort of overinvested in solar panel capacity in China. Yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, totally that is, that, that is kind of the situation right now. Like, you know, it's definitely the panels have gotten cheaper and cheaper, but I, you know, I do think, um, you know, and, and again, I, I don't, I haven't, read enough or, or thought enough about this and, and looked into it enough but like you know the the reasoning behind the the subsidies here is that you know um even as those things have gotten cheaper it is still there is still a big sort of capital expenditure outlay to get people to switch up front and that makes it difficult and therefore having the subsidies makes that initial um you know the initial cost lower and and makes it easier for people to make the switch and and as a you know public policy position we've decided that's important to move to more renewable energy sources and therefore it's worth it now whether or not that's actually the case i don't i don't know for sure yeah <clears throat> all right moving on let's let's sort of do sort of lightning round other stuff that we haven't touched on um uh, education i mentioned do we have yeah. any you know, education is obviously important, but I think, you know, <laughs> ed tech stuff. Oh yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I, I feel one thing that is, is, is it, but it's too, it's state power, right? So the, the president doesn't have a lot of control on this, but, um, you know, certainly governors do. And if the, if the, if we, if we are allowed to say that the president has some soapbox power, I would say leveraging, you know, MOOCs, you know, like multi massively mm -hmm. online educational forums to, uh, to essentially do better high school teaching because yeah. I think a, a lot of the, you know, I feel like we really sort of misallocate, and this is really not my idea. This is, I think, Sal Khan's from Khan Academy's idea, but essentially it, it strikes me as sort of very deeply true. One of the things he says, which is that delivering a lecture to class is not the most useful thing a teacher can do with her time, right? Or right. his time. W one of the most useful things they can do is have the kids watch the lectures on their own and then the teacher spends one-on-one -on -one time with the students helping them work through the hard parts of exercises or right. maybe even in smaller groups, right? So you watch a lecture about calculus and then your teacher is really there to help tutor you through homework as opposed yeah. to your parent, right? Because your parents, right, the last time they did calculus was like 20 years ago. I was just trying to do some <laughs> calculus the other day. Um, it, it, it showed up in some test for some class I wanted to take online. You know, funnily enough, and I and I did this. They asked me to do some very basic derivatives. I couldn't remember any of the <laughs> rules, and I was just thinking, like, by the time my daughter's in high school, I won't be able to tutor her on any of this stuff. So I really hope <laughs> the teachers have to spend more time tutoring their kids, or else, you know, yeah. who's going to do it? And and that definitely is that is a, a Salcon thing. I mean, yeah. he's talked about sort of you know he's flipping the equation, which is like you used to you know in class you would have a lecture and then you would do the individual assignments at home. And he pointed out that you know you should flip that where you you know you have some time whether it's at home or or you know dedicated time where you can watch a lecture from the very best you know educators mm -hmm. in that subject or even multiple educators so you get different perspectives. And then the time when the teacher is actually there working with you that, that that's the you know, no longer homework time, but it's that's the the work time where they can actually work with you through the the yeah. the different issues and, and help you learn. And I think that's that's definitely really powerful. I think related to that is is sort of more recogni recognition of sort of more personalized education plans mm -hmm. where yeah. you know not everyone should proceed at the same rate. Um, you know, mm -hmm. because our system, you know. It's a very batch process system where basically everyone is dragged along or um, or they, you know, if, if you or you sort of get pushed out of the system entirely. Um, and so, like, if somebody doesn't get a concept and they don't they don't really get a chance to catch up. And that's that's really damaging. I think, for, it, for it, lots the of one part of this, and I think we can all agree on sort of the policy end goal, but it's unclear to me how the president with our political system would actually yeah. be able to sort of make that happen there's a few things he could do through the department of education sure but states you know you look yeah, at yeah. what we saw with no child left behind right it was such a onerous thing to try to get states to kind of you know fall in line or with education standards right um all the common core and things like that it's it's so very difficult to actually get um schools and and parents and stuff on board with even the most common sense stuff even with the most common sense stuff 
you know, parents just get so paranoid, all kinds of conspiracy theories. So you can imagine if we ask for something so revolutionary as to say, like, you know, kids are going to watch lectures at home. You would imagine like, you know, Trump country would go insane, right? Just, <laughs> it would be some liberal conspiracy. There's no way you'd be able to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that does certainly get beyond presidential power, but it is, it yeah. is interesting. All right, um, moving on. Uh, we haven't discussed anything on intellectual property, copyright yeah. patents. I mean, that is mostly... <laughs> I was going to say, like, con- patents? Yeah. Congress, yeah. but... Yeah. Um, the president know, can have a policy. The, the president can, again, soapbox, and then also, yeah. you know, the, the patent office and the copyright office are sort of part of the executive branch. The copyright mm-hmm. office, nobody's sure about. <laughs> it's 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 uh, effectively in legal limbo where people aren't entirely sure that it, whether it's part of the executive branch or the legislative branch, which mm-hmm. is kind of a fun little um, mystery of, <laughs> of the way the federal That's government odd. works. Yeah, because it's, it's part of the Library of Congress, which by its name is part of Congress, yet the uh, head of the Copyright Office is appointed as by the executive branch. And so oh. it is indeterminate as to whether or not the Copyright Office is technically part of the legislative branch or the executive branch. And it's an huh. issue that mm, has some potential constitutional issues but but i'm not going to go deep into those weeds right now um so but yes right so i mean the patent office and and the copyright office have some some input into policy and the president has some say into those things i'd like to see you know one thing i think the president can probably do is uh well actually i'm not sure now but Public libraries, how are they funded? Is it a basic city-by-city thing, or is there some federal funding? There's a mix. There's a mix. So they definitely do get some federal funding, and then they also get some local, state, and and city funding. Uh, And there was, like, this big thing. You know, they do actually rely on a fair bit of federal funding, as as far as I remember. Um, And that was, like, there was this whole big thing a few years back, or this is probably a decade ago, where um, there was sort of a law passed that would sort of lock out federal funding um, from libraries if they didn't install porn filters on their computers. Mm-hmm. And it was like a big fight over that because they do rely on federal funding. So one of the, I was going to say two things here. I think there's two institutions, government institutions that are like very poorly leveraged uh, to help uh, with digital divide things and sort of just helping all of America in a broad way step into the technological age. And these two institutions are the libraries and mm-hmm. the post office. And I think mm-hmm. there's two roles that one that each can play and it would really take some executive action. One with the libraries, I really think every library and every post office also should be free wireless access points. And it should be fairly easy for the government to do that. They already have connectivity to these places. Uh, and a lot of libraries are already are kind of- I was of, gonna say most libraries already do already have are, that. Yeah. yeah. Post offices certainly don't, but I no, think, post, I think, post offices yeah. don't. I mean, I've I've actually found like now when I when I travel and I'm like looking for a place to work, you know, and I mm. and I'm I don't have anywhere to go. I I usually now try and go to a public library, and I found that that's it's yeah. really good setup <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like going somewhere where they charge you a cafe or something. Right. right. So that's one thing. The second thing I think that libraries can do is you know. A lot of books are moving online, and I think a lot of people think it's tragic, but I think libraries should leverage that. And, I, and, and one way they can do it is, of course, you want to keep the books and stuff for the kids. But the <laughs> reference materials, right, which, which everybody needs in this sort of digital age, you need to keep up with your skills. You need to be constantly getting better at stuff, right? Like, I really think it makes sense for libraries to be uh, the place of contact for people to go to um, to get access to or to get references to or some help towards um, tackling things like online learning, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think education is not going to be this thing that just stops when you're like 21 or 22 and graduate college. I think we're all going to have to keep training continuously. Yeah. And I think libraries are a good place to direct people. Community colleges, of course, are another place. But but I think libraries are a great place for people, for the the government to set up a space where people can create study groups that if they're all working on common online courses and that kind of stuff. And the internet connectivity is key there. The one other thing that I would say for like post offices, and I think the the president could certainly do this, but um, uh, you know, I'm sure this is going to be controversial. Is I, th- I think I, th- I think I think post offices beyond just giving internet access should also allow citizens to go in, and just like you can go to a post office to get your passport, which is kind of does your uh, 
gives you your sort of offline identity and gives you your credentials. You mm-hmm. should be able to go to, to post offices, show your IDs, and get essentially tokens that you can use, um, reusable tokens that essentially allow everybody to know, like, you know, in sort of a verified way, this is uh, you. And you can use that token in different ways online, applying for credit cards and things like that. And people have a greater surety. And institutions can essentially, the financial institutions, etc., retailers even can say, hey, if you want to sign up for this kind of account here, Mm -hmm. we need to know that you really are you. So go to your local post office and get this token. You could get a a sort of, it's it's a digital government ID. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. digital. And it's consumed, right? So Mm -hmm. you can get as many as you want. Um, You can also ask the post office to revoke authorization for certain uh, of Mm. these IDs. And that kind of thing. That's one thing. And the other thing I was going to say is, I don't like the idea that my primary place that everyone emails me is Gmail. And if, you know, Google's not going out of business, but you can imagine like, you know, they decide to charge for it or something like that. I would, you know, that wouldn't be too cool. And then the other place that people can (laughs) find each other is on Facebook profiles or Twitter handles, right? I really think it makes sense for post offices not to necessarily host the online IDs, but to have a registry that basically says this person's, if you want to find this per- this so-and-so person, here is where they say their current primary ID uh, email address is, right? Mm-hmm. To keep an online registry of that. And then you can go to the post office and change it or do it on the post office's website. But essentially, it's essentially the forwarding thing, right? And you can put it, you can put a spam address there if you're not interested in anyone ever contacting you. But if you want old friends to get in touch with you or if you want institutions to send you uh, your, you know, notifications to the official address it would go to that email address right and i think i think that's a useful thing because now to serve a legal summons or something like that nobody has to mail you something it just goes to your post office registered email address right but but then again you just admitted that people could put their spam address there so if they wanted to but then that's on them right yeah but I mean, I, 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 it's an interesting idea. I hadn't really thought about it, and I hadn't really thought about you know whether or not that should be a government job. I mean, somebody else could set those kinds of things up. But like maybe it but, makes. But sense. everyone wouldn't use it. It wouldn't become legally sufficient. What I'm saying is the, the the presidential action there is needed to essentially make it legally sufficient notice, right? Sure. Like this whole thing. But that then, like, but then you you really honestly you couldn't then put a spam address there because you'd be risking you know, no, you're right. liability. Because, yeah. because if that became like the primary channel with which the government used to contact yeah. you and so then blah, you would blah, have blah. to do it and then yeah. of course spammers would immediately scrape right. every bit of that site and, and overwhelm yeah. any such email so no but you <laughs> spam technology is pretty good I mean if you if it's redirected to your gmail account right like they're gonna, <laughs> maybe, they're gonna throw maybe, it away maybe. I don't know I don't know I get a lot of legitimate emails like, yeah Oh, in your spam? spam. Oh, yeah, that's been spam. happening to me recently. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You know what's really weird recently? Oh, um, can I go off topic for a second? <laughs> if it's very quick, because I still have t- at least two emails more things I wanna... within threads in Gmail. Like I'm already in a thread with someone. Certain messages within that thread will go into the spam folder. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Why you know, would that the, happen? So the the funniest thing is is where I had that happen most recently was on a, a mailing list that I'm on, mm-hmm. uh, of like all these copyright lawyers, and the the emails that went into the Gmail spam filter were the ones from a Google copyright lawyer. <laughs> what from Google? <laughs> from Google? From his Google what? account? That's so bizarre. Uh, in yeah. in the thread, and yeah. and were other emails of his within the thread not in the spam folder? Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. See, the weird thing for me were. was there was this one individual. Some of his replies were in the thread, and then others went to the spam folder. Yeah, in a, in a just, single thread. Kind of Anyways, this, this yeah. we're getting very off topic, and and yeah. so all right, so so moving on, one that we haven't discussed at all, trade policy. That's definitely within the the president's purview. He it's wants, not really tech, though. Uh, trade policy is big tech. Come on, that that, that impacts is tech it? in I mean, all sorts of ways. It just seems much bigger than just tech policy. Sure, yeah. it's, it's bigger than tech policy. But, but then, can is, we say basic a, income then? Yeah, sure. Yeah, because the basic, basic income's income. huge, right? But but is that the president? I mean, would no, the president really, have anything guess, to do with that, no. right? If, I mean, I mean, the president they they can set the the hope. Come on, the, yeah, the big, the big policy. Sure, but 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 trade policy, right? I mean, you know, I mean, whether for 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 physical goods, obviously, you know, yeah. whether or not you can trade, but also it's becoming really really important in terms of digital stuff because yeah. now they're putting all these things, whether it's like intellectual property rules into trade policy or you know, uh, data flows or data localization rules are all going into trade policy these days. Yeah. So I think it's actually really important, you know, if we want to have like an open internet to actually, you know, trade policy actually matters quite a bit. 
It does, but in the se- it, it it matters in a way that would just spiral out of control for this podcast, right? Because <laughs> in a sense, it it, it it covers every policy because every policy can get pulled in there. Like copyright gets pulled in, like you said, everything sure. gets pulled in, yeah. trademark gets pulled in, and so you know it it matters in the sense that everything matters, right? Like so. Well, yes and stuff. no. So, but here's here's my argument with it at least, right? So, the the annoyance and and problems of trade policy today are, are to me is is that a lot of that stuff does get sucked in, but the the thinking behind modern trade policy is that we live in a global world and we need sort of you know uh, uh, you know global norms and global standards around certain things. And the other thing that is global and requires global norms and standards is an open internet. For the internet to work properly, you yeah. kind of need it to work everywhere or almost everywhere. And therefore, like the internet and and trade policy actually align very very well and therefore i think it is actually pretty important in terms of you know if we're just focus if we just want to focus on like the internet part mm-hmm. of trade policy i think it's super but important but the, the the internet part of trade policy is mostly the copyright stuff i mean other other no, things that's about that's not it. that's not entirely true like yes that is uh, that is a it's part the of ip it. stuff i shouldn't have said like copyright only well, but all the ip no, stuff no the ip but. stuff is is definitely a part of it but it, there there is like you know in in like tpp and and almost certainly in in uh, TTIP like you have a a separate section which is not part of the IP section which mm-hmm. is about like data localization and free data flows right and and that kind of stuff is is actually really important it requires so, you to allow free what do data those pro- flow. what does that mean for like in terms of sort of uh, normalizing sort of privacy laws or like what do you mean by data flow or data so so it, it 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 means a few different things well it it includes um, things like, you know, basically preventing um, sort of great firewall kinds of things where you're blocking mm-hmm. access to all sorts of content. You're sort of required as part of being part of the trade mm-hmm. agreements to allow, you know, free data flow between those things, but also preventing requirements for data localization in terms of like, you know, uh, you know, country X can't say that, um, you know, Amazon has to set up local servers in order to serve local oh, people in, in right, this right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. particular country or something like that. And, you know, I think that stuff is actually pretty valuable. Now, there are, you know, there are privacy arguments over that and some privacy folks, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, you know, some people want servers localized and some people don't. But, you know, I, th- I think it's actually these things can actually yeah. have a pretty big impact. Yeah, I agree. But again, you know, if we start talking about privacy in these things, it's going to spiral. <laughs> okay. Forget. All right. All right. So forget that. I'll, I'll move on to one more. Uh, okay. Unless you basic income. We are not just kidding. The one other sort of uh, policy issue is immigration. And I know that this can also spiral into all sorts of different ways, but I think is also it's not tech policy though. It, it, it totally is tech policy. A lot of it is tech policy, not all. Oh, of you it, mean because right? of the high tech workers? Yeah, you have high tech workers. Uh, you have yeah. you know mm-hmm. entrepreneur visas. You have you know all sorts of stuff related to to that. That that you know, and in fact, you know, this is one thing that's you know in terms of where our sort of immigration policy debate is. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, this year the immigration policy debate has just gone you know. Off it's a little bit but, different, but yes, but where where the immigration policy debate was uh, previous to this presidential campaign was that basically everybody on on you know both sides of the you know major political spectrum uh, agreed that like better visas for for tech high skilled workers was really really important yeah but that that won't pass because then you have the uh, the Democrats who basically say it, we should have comprehensive immigration reform, which mm-hmm. um, you know covers not just high tech, high skilled workers, and they know that the only way they're going to get that pass is to tie it to the tech workers. And then the Republicans, obviously, for the most part, no. don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. And so the high tech immigration stuff sort of gets held up. And I can understand yeah. why that happens. But but you know immigration for high skilled workers and and entrepreneurs is a big deal if we're talking about tech well, policy. What what I really think is is that uh, essentially Congress and the president and president can't do a lot on immigration I think you know I think his hands sure, are kind of Sure that's true tight. it is it is more of a it's, it, but but one of the things I I think uh, is if these guys just stall a little more it just won't matter. And the reason it won't matter is <laughs> telepresence and uh you know uh that kind of stuff telecommuting is going to get so good. Latencies are going to fall so much in the next 5 10 years uh remote work I've already found has gotten 
demonstrably better than when I last did it like five or ten years ago. Now we have a very distributed team, and uh, it's 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 kind of bad if I have to talk to team members in like uh, Africa and a few other places like that. But uh, you know, places like Europe, it's it's totally fine. Yeah, it works. It works and, flawlessly. And, and and what I'm thinking is, just let bandwidth get a little better. Let connections get a little better. And the Congress and the president will be in the other foot. They'll essentially be trying to beg people to come back to the United States <laughs> so they can tax them. And everyone will be wanting to work out of places like Mauritius where they're not taxed at all <laughs> and have a great lifestyle, low cost of living. And then 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 where, where will they be? They'll be like, damn, all these like high priced engineers are just staying where they are back home and just collecting huge U.S. paychecks. But, uh, you know, living where the cost of living is cheap on the beach somewhere and then we can't even tax them. Right. And that kind of thing is going to be an issue for them. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. I mean, I like and I'm certainly a supporter of, of uh, you know, telework and, and mm -hmm. you know, distributed teams and stuff like that. But I think there are certainly cases and, and we've discussed this in a previous podcast even where like, you know, actually being present and and together has some value in, in certain cases. And, and now it does. Right. But wait, Hirsch, wait, Hirsch is saying that, wait, you know, in, in just the wait, future. Wait, wait till, I, I, just wait I, till I, it's I, Oculus model <laughs> 44. And, and uh, it just, yeah. yeah, and it just, it just feels like, look, it doesn't even have to get to that because that's like some sci-fi stuff. I'm talking about if you have a, a, a flawless 1080p display, forget 1080p, let's make it a 2K display. A 2K display and a camera that tracks you it really feels like the person's there. It's very crisp. You can see their emotions. And if the audio connection is clear, it really makes no difference. And especially if you have a shared whiteboard, uh, like when you scribble on, like you have something like an iPad essentially, and they have an iPad and the surface you're drawing on uh, is, is synchronized between you. Yeah. Or even just a Google Doc for now. Yeah, right? but I mean, it's so the, very the, productive. I, like, it's more I, productive I, than sure, sitting with each other sure. in the same room without no, I, those I agree, but I, I think the thing the thing that is, is harder to replicate, and, and the, now we're getting way down into the weeds on this, <laughs> but like the thing that's harder to replicate is sort of the the sort of accidental collisions and the, oh, the yeah. sort of yep. serendipity uh, and... and, uh, and uh, you know what I would say to all that is Slack. <laughs> Get on Slack. Yeah. <laughs> or, Slack. Or whatever the, 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 the version of Slack there is in yeah, five or I ten mean, years when you envision this happening. The, yes. The VR like, Slack, yeah. Th there, are, there are opportunities for that. But it's like, like honestly, like, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I ran into the, to this guy on the train who I hadn't seen in a few years, and we had a really interesting discussion. And I'm actually going to meet with him tomorrow. Yeah, but Mike, right? you just so like, you messed up with that because you didn't talk <laughs> about a co you didn't talk about a coworker. You what you're acting like is like if I'm working out of Bangalore, like I'm not going to have any serendipitous <laughs> meetings with someone else who happens to be telecommuting to another company but happens to live in the same city. I mean, you could you can make a connection on a beach in Thailand somewhere. Like like you're gonna meet. People People, and especially if this becomes more ubiquitous, you're going to meet them everywhere. You're going to meet yeah, them in, sure, in, in airports. You're going to meet them in cafes everywhere. I mean, there's, yeah, there's I mean, but there is something to be said when you get the critical mass of enough people yes. working on similar things in the same physical location. There's something very special nah, about that. So. Not not any more special than getting them into one subreddit, especially when the subreddit <laughs> in the when the subreddit of the future is just oh, a God. virtual space, like they're all present, oh, right? Boy. Physically, the, the subreddit and slacks of the future. Anyways, we're getting way off the uh, off the trail. We've already gone way yeah. over our normal amount of time, so I'm gonna cut this off and say <laughs> that we have just developed the perfect presidential tech policy platform. Perfect, and uh, you know. Uh, the campaign should hire us or something. Yeah. <laughs> no way, man. You don't want to get into that game. <laughs> no, I don't. Game. I really do not want to get into that. It'd uh, be kind of fun, maybe. All right. Well, you can do it. I'll do and it. And then let us know how it goes and take all of our ideas. Just give us some credit for it. Sounds good. All right. Um, <laughs> any final words from either of you? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Bye, guys. I think I think this is good. All right. And uh, thanks, guys. And thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye.